Well, we're going to talk about the power to live right now. I've been talking for week after week after week after week about how that if we're Christians, if we're really Christians, now I'm not talking about you check Christian on a survey because Buddhists didn't look right and Muslim didn't look right and atheists didn't look right, so you thought, well, I guess I'm a Christian, and you check that. But I'm saying, if you've really given your life to Christ, if you genuinely have done that, then the Bible says that all of our sins are forgiven, we're covered in his righteousness, and we, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. What an amazing, incredible message. I know some of you get a little nervous, like, but I got some kids that need to live right, and I need you to really tell them that they need to live right. And then you got some kids saying, I got some parents that need to live, really live right. So we're going to talk about that because being the righteousness of God and being clothed in his righteousness does not give us freedom to sin. It does not give us, even shouldn't give us a passion to sin. It should give us a passion to want to live who and what we are. If I am the righteousness of God in Christ. See, I think that's such a critical message that we're, we don't get. We often say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I get that we were old sinners. We are saved by grace. I get that. But I don't want to have a mentality that I'm a sinner because sinners sin. I want to develop a mentality of what the scripture says. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And so I want to live out what I am on the inside. And so we're going to talk about how to do that. And so we're going to look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews chapter 10 has some incredible, incredible stuff in it. Can we throw that up there? It says, uh, and, and I don't have all the verses, and anytime I don't use all the verses, I'm never trying to hide something from you. You know, somebody, why, why did he skip a verse there? You, you're welcome to read the whole chapter. In fact, as I often tell you, don't crush my fantasy. I believe that you guys leave here and say, I can't wait to get home and really dig into the whole chapter of Hebrews 10, maybe the whole book. Hey, while I'm at it, Tracy so inspired me, I'm going to do the whole New Testament. So let me live in that little fantasy that you're excited about that. But you can cover all these verses because they're all incredible. But in Hebrews 10, verse 9, it says, Then he, the he here is Jesus. It says, I have come to do your will. And then he says something really powerful that we didn't read the previous verses to get a handle on, so I'll tell you what it was. He sets aside the first to establish the second. What's the first? He's setting aside the first covenant of the law to establish a second covenant, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus is our source. He's setting aside the first to establish the second. We see that in communion. Remember, he gives them a cup, and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant in my blood. Jesus is establishing a second, uh, a new and better covenant, it says. And, and by that will, the will of Jesus, the will of the Father, we have been made what? holy we have been now that did, did we earn it did we achieve it no we've been made holy we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of jesus christ once for all you've been made holy once once and for all once and forever through the sacrifice of jesus christ so incredible things in the word of god as we study this hebrew uh hebrews by the way is written to Hebrew people, understood the law. We may not understand it completely, but we, we are intelligent enough to figure it out as we go along and read the things. It says in verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. So he, they're talking about the Old Testament priesthood. Remember the priests and the animal sacrifices and all that went on? It's, it's quite detailed. You can read that. And so the, the priests, every day, they're standing to perform their duties. They have to do it over and over and over again. They offer the same sacrifices, which can, what? Never take away sins. 
They can never, ever take away sins. They can't, although they're doing this, and God required it of them. So that's why our covenant is so much better, because Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. So then it goes on to say, it says, but when this priest, talking about Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. The reason he could sit down was because his sacrifice was eternally effective and eternally efficient. It wasn't temporary, it was forever. He sat down at the right hand of God, for by one sacrifice, here's kind of an anchor verse we've been on, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, did you see that? He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we have this perfection that Jesus puts in us, this righteousness, and then we work that out all the days of our life, who he is in us. Then he adds, that should be enough, but there's more. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Can you praise God for that? Amen. As I look out at a bunch of people who need that verse, I can, you know, and me, we need that. It's so refreshing. Oh, my goodness, he's not going to remember my sins. He's not going to remember my sins and lawless deeds and acts ever again. They're forgiven. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now, I want to explain that. Since Jesus' sacrifice was effective and efficient and thorough forever, we don't need to sacrifice the blood of bulls or goats or lambs or pigeons or turtle doves again. Got that? We don't need to do that. And we know that and we don't do that, but we come up with our own little Christian sacrificial systems. You know what I mean? Well, it's Jesus and, and then we add all these ands to it. And the ands we add are good. It's Jesus and, you better be in church every time the doors are open. I like that one myself, but it's not what the Bible says. Now, does the Bible say we shouldn't go to church? Absolutely not. We should go to church. We should be in the house of the Lord. Or, you know what? It's Jesus and so much time of Bible reading per day. How much time's enough? It's Jesus and so much prayer. It's Jesus and so much witnessing. It's Jesus and so much this and so much that. Now, everything I've mentioned is good stuff, things that believers should be doing. But to say, I have to do that because Jesus' sacrifice was not efficient enough, it was not effective enough, so I'm going to add to that my own sacrifices. No, that's bad teaching. That's why just what the scripture says right here, that where, where those have been forgiven, where sins and lawless acts have been forgiven, there is no sacrifice necessary again. There's no, nothing else needs to be done. Jesus was thoroughly efficient. Let's not insult him by saying, you weren't quite enough. We need you, and i got to read through the Bible in a year. Now, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, I've tried it multiple times, and I have succeeded at it a few times. I remember Sean and I read through the Bible when he was a little kid, and we just decided right up front, we ain't going to make it in a year. So we just said, we're just going to keep at it until we get done. And I don't remember how long it took us, two years, two and a half years, but we finally got it done. But... If you want to read through the Bible in a year, it's a wonderful thing to do. It's great to do, uh, but it's not Jesus and read through the Bible in a year. In fact, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, it can actually be very discouraging because you've got to read so many chapters a day. And when you miss a couple days, you now go from needing six chapters to needing 18 chapters. And then the next thing you know, you have a bad week, and, and you look and you go, I'm 38 chapters behind. And you start feeling like, 
Oh, wretched man that I am. And then, uh, seriously, Satan will come whisper to you, and you call yourself a Christian. You can't read eight chapters a day. You, you don't love God. And you'll, next thing you know, you haven't read the Bible in two years because you've been so discouraged by that. So, you know, let's quit making up all of our own laws and rules, and let's allow the life of Jesus to flow through us. Now, in real estate, there's a, a mantra uh, there's three things that's critical for selling real estate. Anybody in real estate? No one? Okay. Does anybody know what the three things that are most important about selling something in real estate is? You got it. Location, location, location. That's it. If you're selling real estate, location, location, location. You say, it don't sound like three things. It sounds like one. Well, that one thing's so important. We're going to say it's the top three things. Well, in studying the Bible, there's something that's incredibly important that I want you to know, and that is context, context, context. You, you say, what's that mean? Look at everything around it. What's this about? Who's it to? You can make the Bible say anything. I can take you to a Bible verse that says Jesus is of the devil. The Bible actually says that. But in context... It's the jealous Pharisees who say, well, he just casts out demons by Beelzebub. He's in cahoots with the devil. He's of the devil. And Jesus said, this is my paraphrase, that's idiotic. If Satan's divided against Satan, his kingdom can't stand. But it was said, but what's the context? Over the years when I've counseled people, uh, sometimes I might sit down, I'll just, I'll make it picking on the husband. Maybe the husband and the wife are having trouble, and I sit down and meet with the husband, and I talk to him, talk to him. And let's say we meet for an hour. And I'm saying, man, you got to correct this and watch out for that and beware of this and change this. And you gotta, you got to die to yourself here and you got to honor her here and you go through all this. And, and then he says, yeah, but I struggle with this and that and the other. And I say, I understand why you feel the way you feel. But we need to do this and this and this. So I spent a whole hour and for six seconds I said, I understand how you feel the way you feel. And then the wife asked him, what did he say? Tracy said, he understands why I feel like I feel. And I think, context, context, context. I wish you would have told the whole story. But, and maybe that's the only thing they remember that I said, ooh, I, I, I like that. I like that little five-second uh, part of my counseling there. Context, context, context. So, you know, again, I'm believing that you are going to dash home today and you're going to read Hebrews 10 and you're going to come across these verses and I want to deal with them today. Hebrews 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And then we go, ah, I, I, I've sinned deliberately. In fact, I sin deliberately quite regularly. I, I, must, I must have the fire of God waiting for me, and we get all discouraged and beat up. First of all, I do want you to know I'm not promoting sin. But I want to say context, context, context. If it means that after we become Christians that we deliberately sin, that we're going to have the fire of God to consume us, then we're all consumed. Because you and I, me and you, we, usans, we have all sinned deliberately. Well, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, you have. Because sometimes, maybe somebody's being a jerk to you or being rude, and you just say to yourself, hey, I'm just going to swallow it, eat it, it doesn't matter. The love of God should have brought my heart by the Holy Spirit. But they keep on. 
And then finally you say, you know what? I could give them a piece of my mind, and I could tell them exactly how I feel. No, I'm just going to, but they keep on. So finally you say, I think giving them a piece of my mind is what I am going to do. And so you tell them that, and what you you just sin deliberately. You chose to do that. And most of our sins are deliberate. Sometimes they're accidental, but most of them are deliberate. So what's this saying then? Well, let's read on. It says, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Think about that. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at somebody who says, I've been offered an opportunity to know Jesus, but I reject it. I'm going to deliberately keep on living my life of sin. I'm not going to go after God. And because I've rejected God, then I've made myself an enemy of God. If you love Jesus as your Savior, are you an enemy of God? No, you are not. You're a child of God. Behold what manner of love the Father's lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. We are the children of God, not the enemies of God. And so it looks, we look through here. We're not trampling the Son of God underfoot. We're not treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctifies us. See, Jesus' blood has saved and sanctified the whole world. The Bible says that not only are our sins forgiven, but the sins of the whole world are forgiven. Is everybody walking in that forgiveness? No, they are not. You probably at times, if you've lived a while, have had a broken relationship, and you go up and you offer forgiveness and restoration, and people say, get lost. You had an opportunity, you gave an opportunity for reconciliation. They rejected it. These are people who have rejected a reconciliation, a restored relationship with God. And they have trampled underfoot Jesus, they've treated the blood of the covenant as unholy, and they've insulted the spirit of grace. I'm not going to go after God. I'm going to live how I want to live, the way I want to live, where I want to live, when I want to live, do what I want to do, however I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it. We've, I've rejected Jesus. Well, I want you to know this when you do that, there's no more sacrifice. There's nothing else coming down the pike. There's no, well, you know, I'll wait for the next Savior. There is no next Savior. Jesus is the only one. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So don't let these verses disturb you if you're a Jesus lover. If you're not truly born again, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, and last week we spent time looking through what the Scripture says, Paul said, we ought to examine ourselves and look at ourselves. If we examine ourselves, don't you know that Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. You've examined and tested yourself, and you failed. So we looked at all kinds of things where the Scripture reveals what shows us to be saved. And so you should think about that. Remember Zig Ziglar's quote. Zig Ziglar says, it's a shame that people spend more time and thought on planning a vacation than they do their eternity. So you ought to pause and think, go get that that message last week online it's free listen to it see if you're in the faith see if Jesus is in you because if Jesus is not in you these verses ought to cause you to tremble these verses ought to send fear in you you say well well God's God's love God is love that's why you need to be in God you don't need to be outside of God for there's nothing but the judgment and fearful wrath of God waiting so make sure Paul said these words, he said, I beg you, I plead with you, I implore you, be reconciled with God. Be reconciled to him. Come into relationship with him through Jesus. So let's go back to our anchor verse for the day, Hebrews 10, 4. For by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
It's a beautiful verse. On the Christian journey, we should want to let the righteousness that's in us in Jesus be lived out through us. See, it's one thing to have it in us. We need to learn how to now walk it out of us. I remember many years ago, after Mitch, who's sitting right here, hi, Mitch, and Aaron, how you doing? Mitch had graduated from, from um, uh, college at IU with a degree in informatics. We don't know what informatics is to this day, but he has a degree in it. I thought it was like snipe hunting, but it actually is a real degree. So anyway, uh, he has this degree in informatics. And, and we're here to tell you, you know, some people graduated summa cum laude and some grad, graduated magna cum laude. Mitch graduated, thank the laude. Um, so anyway, um, that's, that's horrible. He is a great student. He is a great student. And so he's going to get his first job. I remember this. And he says, I don't know what to do. And we said, that's what we've been telling you all of our lives. You don't know what to do. But anyway, that was actually meant to be a joke. Um, and so I said, Mitch, you know a whole lot more than you think you do. You've got all this stuff inside you. What was the dilemma? He had all the stuff inside him, but he never had an opportunity to work it out through him. So he got a job and realized, I can do this. And as he's worked and as you have worked, this applies to all of you, you can relate to this, you got better at your job and better at your job and you figured out how to do things better, how to do things more efficiently, how to, how to improve it. How, you learned all those things. You took what was in you and you worked it out through you. We are the righteousness of God. Jesus lives in us. So that inspires us to say, let's figure out how to live that out through us. That's what Christianity is. I'm going to live out all this good stuff that's in me. I'm going to live it out through me. So, it's a journey. And I'm hoping as a Christian, you've asked yourself, how can I do this better? I hope you've had some soul-searching times yourself and said, you know, I, I sin, I make mistakes, I don't want to do that. I want to please the Lord. I had a guy who was a new believer, several months old in the Lord, and he came to me, and I really didn't have a good answer for him because I thought what he said made a lot of sense. He said, man, he said, I used to sin and love it. I used to look forward to it. I, I was excited about it. Now I've given my heart to the Lord. My whole desires have changed. But I'm still struggling with sin in certain areas of my life. And I've asked God to help me and to take it away. And he hasn't taken it away. And you would think that God would say, finally, this knucklehead has come to know me as Lord and Savior. They don't want to sin anymore. He's asked me just to take away this sin. And you think God would just take it away. I think that's a great plan. But it wasn't how it worked. What often happens, as I've seen over the years, you might have experienced this with your own life, that you give your life to Jesus, and there's just a few things, a handful of things, that just God just deals with just immediately. I remember a guy one time, he was a, 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 a proficient cusser, and uh, he smoked, and he wanted to get rid of those things, but he never could, but he gave his life to Jesus. And the next day, the very next day, he gave his life to Jesus watching a TV program, one evening after work, he went to work the next day, and at the end of the day, he said, I noticed I did not cuss nor smoke one cigarette that entire day. Interesting. But he had other things he would tell you that just I had to work out my salvation with fear and trembling in those areas. One day, his um, father was in the hospital. This was many years ago. His father was in the hospital, and he started getting anxious. Now, if you've been a smoker or are a smoker, you know, anxiety is often a time where you feel like you... You need to light up. Been a few times up here when my jokes weren't going over. I just wish I had, you know, something where I could just, you know. So anyway, so 
he's sitting there. Now, get this. This is how much the world has changed. He's sitting in the hospital, nervous about his father's situation. What's going to happen with his father? He goes to the canteen, we used to call it. I don't know if it's still called that, or the vending machine area. And guess what is in the hospital? A cigarette vending machine. Now, in the hospital. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but they... they you put some money in them, there's a little lever, and you could see all the different choices you had, so you put your money in there, and you pull this lever. Man, that lever came out a long way. Not that I've ever used them. I only, I've only observed it. And they, so they pull that out, and down would come your cigarettes. So he's sitting in the hospital somewhere smoking cigarettes. Can you imagine that today? Uh, he's sitting there smoking some cigarettes. He, had, he was, like, supernaturally delivered, wasn't smoking anymore. A couple years had gone by since he had a cigarette. He said that cigarette was so good, and it grabbed a hold of him. <laughs> he said it took him two years to quit smoking. He said it was like it was a fight. He felt like, now I know this wasn't what it was like, but he said he felt like God said, I took care of it once for you, this one's on you. And he was like, "Woo!" And it was a struggle, it was a fight. And so, and I'm not picking on you. If, if you cuss, I think you shouldn't. If you smoke, I think you shouldn't, but I... You know, we should grow in those areas. So if you're here today, I'm not sending you to eternal hell because of, of those things. We all have something that seems to hang on that we've got to work ourselves through, that we've got to yield ourselves through. And so this guy said, it just seems like God would just say, finally, you're asking for forgiveness and you're asking for help and you don't want to sin anymore. I'm going to help you. And God did on some areas, but some, it's like he lets us process it through. But we want to make forward progress in our lives. We want to keep moving forward. And so whatever area, this is why we had to be very, very careful because the areas where God has supernaturally helped you find freedom in and the areas which you have fought hard and found freedom in, if you're not careful, those are the areas that you will be really self-righteous about. Those will be the areas that you look at other people, oh, or you're praying a prayer like, I thank God I'm not a sinner like that person over there. And you'll list all the righteous things you do and that person will beat their chest and say, you know, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Bible says that that person, the one who just cried out for God's mercy, went away justified, and the other person who was bragging about their spirituality did not. So be very careful. The, the old spiritual song used to say, it still says, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. So let's remember to pray for our brothers and sisters who are struggling with something that we have found victory over. And if you have an insight or something that helped you, pass that along. But let's live what James calls, or is it John? John calls it the royal law of love. Let's walk in the royal law of love and help our brothers and sisters find freedom in Christ, not be beat up by some area where we have had success when they've had successes in areas where we haven't. So we're growing at this together. So what can we find? What can we get to have forward progress in the Lord. Better yet, not what. Who can we get to have progress in the Lord? Who can we call upon for progress? Well, Jesus said this. Jesus said in John 14, 16. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you how long? Forever. So is he with you on a bad day? Is he with you when you've had one of those days where if someone followed you around, they, they would bet a million bucks you weren't a Christian by the way you behaved and what you did? Is the Holy Spirit still with you? Yes. I believe we can grieve the Holy Spirit, but he's still with us. And so 
Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper. Now, if you read John 14, 15, and 16, it's a lot of good instruction about the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually tells them at one point, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another one like me, the Holy Spirit, and he will lead you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He will be your helper. Now, that word there, paraclete, is such a big word that different Bible translations use a different translation. Some call, call this helper, as we just read. Some call it counselor. Some call it comforter. Some call it advocate. Why? Because all those things are wrapped up in that word and what the Holy Spirit is to us. A comforter, counselor, advocate, helper. Probably the most literal definition is someone called alongside to help you. Called alongside to help you. So the Holy Spirit's called alongside to help us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us. I just listed a few verses there that you can look up later. Acts 1, 8, Romans 8, 11, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. That the Holy Spirit comes to empower us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us. We need to know that. We need to call upon his help. We need to allow him to transform our lives as believers and keep yielding ourselves to God. In Galatians 5, which we're not going to turn to, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We want to nurture a life. Fruit's nurtured. You don't, you don't make an apple. There's not a factory that makes an apple. It's a very natural thing with a spiritual process that we want to nurture fruit so we bear fruit. And in Galatians 5, if you read a little further, it says the fruit of the Spirit is this, and it lists things like love and joy and peace and kindness and patience and goodness, all the things that you would read and go, wow, that's really beautiful. And then it says, but the acts of the flesh are obvious. Fruit of the Spirit, acts of the flesh. And it begins to list all these things in the flesh. And when you read them, you realize, ew, those are awful. Those are yucky. Those are not the things that we want to do or live in. But it takes cultivating the Holy Spirit to empower us to bear fruit. But the Holy Spirit wants to naturally bear that fruit. Just like we talked a week or two ago about that apple tree. An apple tree wants to bear apples. It's designed, it's DNA, it's, it's, it's programmed to bear apples. When we get born again, Larry Shelp and I were talking about this a few Sundays ago, we're a new creation, something that has never existed on planet Earth before. Even before we're born again, you are a very unique person. There's no one else on planet Earth, never has been, nor ever will be, another human being exactly like you. Isn't that interesting? But then you receive the power of God the presence of God, and your new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, and you are a unique creature that has never existed before, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this un the DNA of God in you wants to bear fruit. The DNA of God in you wants to bear love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all those things. The acts of your flesh, they're evident, and it lists all those sinful acts of the flesh, and that's Galatians 5 for those who want to look it up later. But when we, when we ask for the Holy Spirit's help, when we ask for God's help, there's something about us if we're not careful. We're very pride-filled people, human beings are. And we're, I'm going to do it on my own. You, you may even share Christ with people. They may say, I don't need the Lord. I'm doing quite fine. They think I can do life on my own. You can't. Now, you can do life on your own, but you can't be righteous on your own because you're going to be, God's going to compare you to his impeccable holiness. And you and I are never going to get that good. So we need the holiness of God. We need, what, what, what's the spirit of God's first name? Holy. 
I don't know if that's actually his first name, but you get the idea. It's Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates holiness in us. The DNA of the Holy Spirit is to be holy. And so we want to release the DNA of God into our lives. But if we're prideful, we say, well, I'm not going to call upon the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to call upon God. I can do this on my own. Well, it's like Christmas time, and somebody gives you a gift. And so you have this gift, and you open it up, and it's a book. Now, I like books. I mean, do you get me a book? I love, in fact, Darlene said, have you read all those books? I said, I have not, but I might one day. And, uh, and I could use a few more. So you get this book, and you open it up. You're all excited. It's a book. I love books. And you look at it, and it's, it's how to successfully lose weight. And you're thinking, my friend gave me this book, how to successfully lose weight. Now, you know if you say thank you, you're acknowledging that you need that book. So then you open up the next gift, and it's another book. And you unwrap it, and it says, how to overcome selfishness. And you go, wow, okay. Well, if I say thank you, I'm just acknowledging, yes, I am an overweight, obnoxious person who obviously needs the help of these books. The truth is, you very well may be an overweight, obnoxious person and do need the help of those books, but you have to humble yourself to say, i got to receive this. See, the ultimate humbling is the gift of Jesus, our salvation, where we say, I can't do it without him. I can't do it without him. And our situation was so dire. I want to want this to sink in. Our situation was so dire, we were so hell-bound and so hopeless that it took, think about this, it took the killing of the Son of God to save us. Not an angel. An angel wasn't good enough. The blood of bulls and goats wasn't good enough. It took the sacrifice of God's Son to save us. We have to acknowledge as we become Christians, I am that utterly lost that God had to clothe himself in a body. Because you do know this, God doesn't have a body, not like you and I. God can't bleed. He had to clothe himself in a body to become a sacrifice for our sins. That's how desperately lost we were. And one of the things we have to do is just say, I am lost and hopeless without Jesus. I need the gift of a Savior. Lord Jesus, I need you. And as we become Christians, we have to say, I'm obviously not so great at being holy on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to help me walk out my Christian life. So, we can't do it on our own. We have to humble ourselves, throw aside our pride, and say, Holy Spirit, help. I am in need of help. So we have this helper, the Holy Spirit, called alongside to help us. In fact, the Holy Spirit is our precious gift from the Father. We see that. Jesus said that in Luke eleven thirteen. Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus recognizes the Holy Spirit as a gift from the Father. In Acts 2.38, Peter calls the Holy Spirit a gift. He's a gift given to us to help us grow, to help us be holy. So we're challenged as Christians not to get comfortable with sin, not to find a loophole for sin. Paul, Paul taught more aggressively the forgiveness of sins than I have over the last few weeks, and he also had to fight aggressively the wrong conclusion to that was, oh, good, then I'll keep sin. And he said, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? God forbid. Shall we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? God forbid. It was constantly, God forbid. No, no. 
We want to live righteously, and we want to live holy. And you'll notice that as you become a believer. I want to do better at this. But maybe you've been defeated so many times, you say, I guess I'm just going to coast my way on into heaven because I can't seem to fight the current. No, you can with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. I want to clarify that again because this is so important. You're not earning your salvation. You're not doing good stuff so you can stay in an extra day. It's not, I've got to keep it today, and I've got to keep it tomorrow, and I've got to keep it the next day by doing this. No, I'm working it out, much like the illustration I gave earlier about Mitch or about all of us who experienced that. What's in us needs to come out through us. So I'm working that out of my lives, and I'll work it out with fear and trembling. I'll work it out with a, with a, a reverential holiness of how I should live and what I should do. And then we have often heard that we need to fight the good fight of faith. It is a fight at times. Say, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward. It's fighting upstream. I want you to know everything about this world, everything about this lost culture is going downstream, and you and I are going upstream. And so we're constantly fighting the current, and it can get wearisome. That's where we need to say, hold it. Ah, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto Jesus, and he will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. So we need to find that place of rest in God as we keep moving upstream against everything the culture wants to throw our way. But we've got to train ourselves. So I, I, I want me, you, all of us to get better at walking in holiness. We've got to train ourselves. And sometimes that's hard. You may say, why is it hard? Well, one reason it's hard is because sin brings pleasure. The Bible teaches that. Sin brings pleasure for a season, for a moment. God's more interested in you having a great life than a great Friday night. But the whole world out there, everybody's living for the... What kind of music are you guys listening to? Where, where did that even... No, that's right. Everybody's living for the weekend. I am gonna, I'm going to indulge my flesh, and I'm going to do all this, and I'm going to have all this fun. And we say sometimes, we Christians, those lost people are not having fun. Let me let you in on a little bulletin. They're having a lot of fun. They're having a lot of fun. You say, well, why don't we join them? Because we're having fun and pleasure and joy beyond anything they can experience. And so God's more concerned you having a great life than a great Friday night or a great weekend. And I will promise you this, and I've never met a Christian who said at the end of their days, uh, serving God was awful and horrible, and I really wish I would have just indulged my flesh and lived for the devil. But my goodness, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who say, oh, if I had to do all over again. If you're here today and you say, if I had to do all over again, I, I mean this, you start now. You can't do it all over again, but you can start right now. You can finish strong. And I think if I had to do all over again, I would have served God. I would have loved God. I would have changed my life because God wants you to have a great life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He's not against you having life. He just knows that that awesome weekend you want to have will ultimately give you death because sin in the end produces what? Death. Sin in the end produces death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So God wants you to have life. He wants you to enjoy life. The Bible says he's given us everything for us to enjoy. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says that, that at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. So we're going to have this great life in the Lord. But pleasure, sin is pleasurable for a season. And we want to move past that, and we've got to get the Holy Spirit to help us. So what happens is sometimes we're confronted with an opportunity to sin, and our flesh says, I want to do it. 
And now you're going, wow, I need to call upon the Holy Spirit for help, but I don't want to. I want to indulge in the sin. Well, that's where we train ourselves to call on the Holy Spirit and realize that whatever it is that we're wanting to do is not the best, if it's sin, it's not the best God has for us. And so we need to push forward and call upon the Holy Spirit. He will empower us. He will help us. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to deal with something, but it could be any sin. I don't care if you're trying to watch your eating or you're trying to exercise or you're trying to, you know, overcome a certain indulgent, indulgence that's sinful. It seems like, and, and to use this as a, not as a cussing term, but as a real term, that when you are confronted with this sinful pleasure, sinful opportunity, it's like all hell breaks loose at that moment. It's like push, push, push. But I, I'll bet if I ask everyone in here, if you've ever pushed past that moment and just asked the Lord to help you, in two to three minutes, the power of that just dissipated. It just dissipated. But it was pushing so hard at the moment. When something's pushing you so hard at the moment, that's time to back off. You ever been in a sales situation where somebody tells you, you've got to buy this right now. It's right now. I mean, it's got to be right now. Anytime it has to be right now, just back off. Because any deal that's a great deal today will be a great deal tomorrow and next week. Very someone a billion times is it ever necessary. You have to move right now. And sin's like that. You need to indulge right now because sin knows and the devil knows it's not a good deal. So let's call upon the Holy Spirit. Now, there was a guy named Jack Hand Handy. I read a little thing from him. And he said when he was in school a lot of years ago, uh, there was a bully that wanted his lunch money every day. And so he was smaller than this bully. And so the bully threatened to beat him up. And he thought it would be better to give him lunch money than get beat up. So day after day, he kept giving the bully his lunch money. Now, back years ago, that probably wasn't a whole lot of money, but it was, it was big money at that time. So he's giving us lunch money. And one day he decides, I'm not taking it anymore. I'm going to learn how to defend myself. And so he goes to a karate school, and he decides, I'm going to learn karate. So he takes like an introductory lesson that was free, and then he says, I'm going to learn karate, and this kid's never going to take my lunch money again. And then the instructor came up to him and said, it'll be $5 a lesson. And he said, it's cheaper and easier just to give the bully my lunch money. So he said, I'm just going to forget it. And sometimes I think we feel like that was sin. It's just cheaper and easier. Just give in to the devil. But the devil never quits taking your lunch money. It's day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. If you'll learn to fight, it may cost you a little bit to learn to fight. But if you learn to fight, there'll be a day that that bully won't take your lunch money anymore. And then you're free forever. And so don't, don't fall to the lie. It's just easier to give him my money. So we're going to do something really super simple this week to help us get our mindset of who we are in the Lord. Now, Jesus said that he's going to send us a helper, and he did. The Bible says if you're born again, you gave your life to Jesus, there was a deposit put in you of the Holy Spirit. So you have a deposit. If you're a believer, you have a deposit of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing what is to come. So you have this deposit in you. And so we have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said he's going to give us a helper who's going to abide, don't miss that word, abide with us 
forever. Abide, not visit, not come on occasion, abide. We know what abide means, right? Live with you, abide with you, dwell with you. The Holy Spirit is going to abide with you forever. And so here's the simple thing that we're going to do. About 20 years ago, I saw a book, and the title intrigued me. It's a great title. The title of the book was Good Morning, Holy Spirit. I like that title. So our simple little habit for this week is something I want, this daily habit to get instilled in us, where we are going to wake up every morning and start the day with Good Morning, Holy Spirit. Well, I... I, I feel like I want to say good morning, Jesus. Then say good morning, Jesus. I'm okay with that. Good morning. You want it all. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. But there's nothing wrong with saying good morning, Holy Spirit, because Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to abide with you forever. So if you've got somebody abiding with you, you ought to say good morning. When Darlene and I got up this morning, I said, Good morning. Now, there's something else I will say to her on occasion. Anybody got to guess what it might be? That's one. Anybody else? That's another. What was that? I love you. No. Um, where's breakfast? No, no. I will say, I will say, good morning. And I will say, I love you. And sometimes I'll ask you, did I tell you I love you today? And if she says no, I say, I'm going to post it on the fridge, so just walk by anytime. If I forget, just walk by. Okay, yeah, he still loves me. It's on the fridge. So what would be so weird about somebody who abides with us forever to say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I love you. <gasps> He's God. God the Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I love you. And then you swallow your pride and say, I'm quite confident I'm going to need your help a lot today. I'm going to need your help. I need your power because you're supposed to empower me. I need your counsel. I need your comfort. I need your wisdom. I need your instruction. These are all the things Jesus said. The Holy Spirit is going to come and comfort you and counsel you and help you and walk beside you. He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to even show you things to come. What if you were trying to make a decision for the future? Wouldn't it be nice to know someone who knew what was coming down the road? I know someone who knows that, the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. He will abide with you forever. He will lead you into all truth, and he will show you things to come. So this week, I want us all to practice when we get up in the morning. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I love you. If you've never said good morning to the Holy Spirit and that makes you feel odd, you can throw in good morning Jesus to good morning Father. But I'm going to tell you something about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not jealous. They don't get upset. They operate and move in a perfect unity. So when you say good morning, Holy Spirit, I love you, it's, it's saying good morning to Jesus and good morning to the Father or Jesus or Father to all of them because this is God, the essence of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so there's our habit. Now, I know this. Every single person here can do it. Here's what I don't know. Will you do it? Will you do it? Will you just say, okay, I mean, it's not so hard. I'm going to say, good morning, Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask him to 
to help me. Yes, good morning, Holy Spirit. Ask him to help you. There was a, in the Old Testament, there was a, a guy that was sent to Elijah, Elisha. I wasn't prepared to tell the story, so I get those two confused a lot. And so he was, had leprosy, and, and Elijah just sent out a servant. I think it was Elisha, just sent out a servant. Just tell him to dip himself seven times in the River Jordan. He'll be fine. Well, this was like the king's right-hand man. He was offended by that. So you don't even come out and talk to me? You send your servant? He was offended, pride-filled. And he said, I got better rivers to dunk in than that dirty little dinky Jordan over there. And so he began to walk away, offended. But his servant said, hold it. Had he told you to do something huge, you would have done it. If he would have told you, I want you to crawl on your hands and knees up that mountainside through the rocks and jagged stones, you would have said, I'm a man, I'll do it. But he told you to do something simple. Why don't you just take a chance and do it? And he took a chance. And he dipped seven times in the River Jordan. And guess what? He was healed. His skin became soft as a child, the Bible says. He was healed. So this is simple. Let's just take a chance. Maybe the crazy guy's got an idea. And we can say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I love you. I need your help. And all throughout the day, sin comes, temptation comes. You go, Holy Spirit, I need your help. And just see what a change that could make in your life.